thank you, Tyler. Somebody left their Bible here. Here you go. <laughs> You're going to need it, sister. <laughs> well, it's my uh, great joy to be here this morning among you. I've already met a long-time friend, Barbara. It's been a long time since I said we we're both older and we're still alive. So... <laughs> And, of course, Brian and Colleen Roller got to know them when I was just a kid in Bible college back in 1976. So I have special fondness for this place, Trenton, or Trent. I get to spend time with him once in a while over at the Blue Flame Kitchen or a coffee shop in the city. And uh, what a delightful man of God he is. My purpose in being here today is to invite you into coffee shop environment where I'm not going to preach. Uh, I've done that for 43 years and now I get the joy of simply talking with people and sharing what God has deposited in my heart for you. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you please to, or on your devices to turn to John chapter 15. It's in uh, that particular chapter that we're going to walk around for a little bit today and uh, enjoy receiving what Holy Spirit has uh, in mind for us. My son Tyler is uh, here this morning uh, with me. He's going to read scripture uh, in a little bit. Oh, not yet, Tyler. No, you can't sit there. You have to sit there. He kind of takes over once in a while. So. But Tyler and I were here uh, before COVID, and we had the privilege of uh, sharing our story uh, with the seniors group right out in the back uh, foyer there. Uh, we do a talk called Tyler, My Teacher, and we had met some wonderful people there, including Pastor Blaine. I don't know if you're here today, Pastor Blaine, but we enjoyed that. Well, it wasn't uh, so long ago that I heard someone uh, tell of a vision that they had received or a dream that they had received uh, from the Spirit of God. And this was the dream. <clears throat> this person saw, happened to be a man, saw himself uh, standing in heaven. And in heaven, they, this person was standing in the middle of a room uh, similar to this. And he was just standing there uh, with this brilliant, beautiful, bright light shining all around him. Only in this particular space, there was another light shining on him. And it was a, a fantastically large spotlight shining right down on him, highlighting him as a person. Like in a, like in a showroom, a, an automobile showroom, Sometimes they have these specialty cars that are right there and, and these bright lights are shining right down on that car for the purpose of showing off all of its features. And so this man in this dream was standing with this bright light shining on him and he knew that he was the center of attention. The light was showing off all of his features visible and invisible. 
And in this dream, he heard the voice of God speak to him. Come, everybody. Come and see my son. I am so proud of him. He is a man of faithfulness. He has been faithful and true all of his life. And then he felt the eyes of God come on him, and he heard God say, I love you, my son. Now, can you imagine yourself placing yourself in that dream and, and hearing God the Father focus, uh, focus his words on you, focus his eyes on you, and inviting others to come and see? You might think, impossible. This just isn't possible for me to receive that kind of attention from God our Heavenly Father. It's probably true for most of us at some time in our lives, maybe even today. You might have feelings within you that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough to warrant that kind of focus from God. I don't pray enough. I don't share my faith enough. I don't worship enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't, you know, the list just can be long for us. Or I'm not handsome enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not slim enough. I'm not... The language of not enough may have been or maybe is part of the language of your heart today. Well, God has something to say to us about that language because that language is not the language of his heart. Jesus wants us to know about showroom living. He wants us to understand the depth of his love for us as human beings, as his children. To stop focusing on our flaws and our mistakes, even our sins. The I'm not enough language. And he wants us to embrace not only who he is, <clears throat> but he wants us to embrace who he says we are. Jesus understood that his life was a showroom. You remember the scriptures uh, when he was born into this world. The angels said, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And when he stepped into our world, Jesus communicated to us by that very act, have a good look at me, pay attention to me. I have something to show you, and I have something to say to you. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, Come, follow me. Come be with me. Come listen to me. Come imitate me. And I'm going to make you into something that you're not today. The scripture tells us, Later in Jesus' life, he said, come and take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Well, you know, in our age, we don't have yokes like the oxen 
Gordon, you might be familiar with that. Yeah. Or harnesses, we see them at the Calgary Stampede with the horses. What Jesus is saying here is, harness yourself to me. And the image that I have in my mind is that Jesus is saying, uh, just come close to me, and I'm going to put my arm around you, and I want you to put your arm around me. That is being yoked. It's about being close to one another. It's about walking together. It's about doing life together. Jesus put himself on display when he came into this world. In the upper room before he was crucified and then was resurrected and went into heaven. Remember he washed the disciples' feet? All, tw all 24 of them, all 12 people, including, including uh, Judas. This is what Jesus said. Now that you have seen me do what I have done, do you know the rest of it? You will be blessed if you go and do the same. We don't wash one another's feet anymore, do we? But we can wash one another with words. And we can wash one another with gestures, with hugs, handshakes, fist pumps, whatever works for you, doing kind deeds. And here Jesus said, imitate me. I, my life is on, on display, so learn from me. Go and do as I have done. That showroom, it is who he's made us to be. It was in John chapter 15, verse 8, that Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, introduced a turning point moment in his life and in his teaching. In that particular scripture, Jesus turned the spotlight that was on him and he turned it on us. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. <laughs> we are the showroom of God. And God wants to say something through us, and he wants to reveal some things through us. So let's pull this scripture apart. Let's come and go a little deeper to see what Jesus had in mind for us as his showroom disciples. This is to my Father's glory. We have to understand the word glory. <clears throat> the Hebrew word for glory in the first part of our Bible means, yes, Tyler, Tyler, you have to listen. No, I'll invite you up when it's time. The Hebrew word for glory means radiance. Radiance. Think lightning storm. That's the literal image that's uh, brought forth in the Old Testament every time you see the word glory. Think lightning storm. Think sheet lightning where the entire sky is lit up. And so the story is told of Moses, you know, how Moses uh, went through all these amazing uh, miracles, the ten plagues, and then more supernatural manifestations of God when they left Israel, crossing of the Red Sea, and more upon more upon more. And then he comes 
in Exodus chapter 33, and Moses says, God, this has been so amazing, this walk with you. But it's not enough. I'm not satisfied yet. Show me your... You can talk to me. Show me your glory. God said, I can't do that, Moses, because if I do the lightning, brightness and brilliance and power of my presence will kill you. But I will show you my goodness, the nature of God, not the power and brilliance, but the nature. I'll show you my goodness. And God went on, you know the story. God went on to show Moses his, just a glimpse of his back, and God spoke to him, giving seven characteristics of the nature of God. Look it up. Exodus 33, 34, and 35. Radiance, remember that. Radiance. Radiance. Glory of God is radiance. This is to my Father's glory that you show yourself to be my disciple by being radiant. The New Testament uses a different word for glory. It's doxa, like doxology. You might sing the doxology here from time to time. Doxa means reputation. The reputation of God for who he is, his nature, his characteristics, his personality, all the qualities that make up who God is. That's his reputation. Oh yes, and of course, what he does. Radiance and reputation. The imagery attached to the uh, Greek word for glory is like royalty entering into a room and if the king, our king, would come and stand in this room, if King Jesus came, well, we might fall on our knees if Jesus came, but if King Charles came in, we would all stand because of his reputation as king, what he represents. So living a life on display reveals the reputation and radiance of God's nature. What then does a radiant life look like? That's what Jesus is getting at in John chapter 15. If we're to display God's glory, then what should we expect to see in one another? We'll get to that. And more importantly, what do the people in this community or your community where you live, what should they expect to see in your life? What does the glory of God look like in you in terms of radiance and reputation? Jesus gets very specific in John 15 about that. And of course, how do we mature in our capacity to show off the reputation and the radiance of God? The Christian life is all about maturity. And we're always maturing. We've, we will never arrive, even when we get to heaven. It's a place of learning. Continuous learning and growth and maturing, discovering new things. A place of adventure. So Jesus had something to say about showroom living. His wisdom is captured in three ideas in John 15, verse 8. Let's look at that. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory. That word invites us to consider what Jesus had said in John 15, verses 1 through 7. 
and, and we don't have time this morning to, for me to exegete that, the whole of, of those uh, seven verses. But just a couple of thoughts to invite you to look at it on your own. So it's the story, uh, it's the teaching there about the, the, the vine and the branches and the gardener who is God. And when we read that passage of scripture, we see that God has a role to play in our lives. He cuts some branches off and he prunes other ones away. And uh, we have to understand that this is not an act of cruelty. It's an act of concern. It's an act of seeing our lives and what we, what we need in order to become <clears throat> increasingly fruitful. To become increasingly mature. So there's some things that get in the way of us maturing in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ toward living a more radiating the glory of God or exhibiting the reputation of God. There's just some things that get in the way of that. And Jesus called them branches or, well, I'm going to call them sucker roots or sucker shoots. So what we know about vines is pretend, I'm, pretend that the trunk of my body is the trunk of the vine. And Jesus said, I am the trunk. And if you're going to bear fruit... We are the branches. If you're going to bear fruit, there's some things that you have to let me do. And he specifically said there's two things. You have to let me cut away those sucker shoots that keep growing up and growing off of who you are. That the, the, the sucker shoots drain life from us. They drain spiritual energy emotional energy, mental energy, physical energy, away from the very things that God wants to, the fruit that he wants to bring alive in us. So there's some things that he has to clip off. When Jesus was in this world, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he talked about, and he said the greatest commandment is to love God in six domains of your being. In every one of these domains, there's some things that kind of grow up in your life. They show up in your life, and they will drain energy from who God has in mind for you to be. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your emotions, your emotional being, your attitudes, your aspirations. Do you ever have a bad attitude that shows up once in a while? I do. But I've learned to deal with that attitude like that. Well, sometimes it's a little later. But, but not let it sit in me. Why? Because it will drain energy, emotional energy from the person that God has in mind for me to be. Even my aspirations, who I think I want to be or what I want, to be careful of that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. The Greek word for soul there means will. Decisions that we make. Be careful of the decisions we make. Oh my goodness, I love Dairy Queen ice cream. But I don't like what it does to me. And, and I know I should exercise more. And I have to make some choices. If I'm going to stay healthy and strong and vibrant physically, I have to make better choices, better choices with our finances. You've got the idea, our time management. Because there's little things that grow up on our vine that will drain energy from us if we continue, consistently make poor decisions. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You're seeing the pattern here? Mindset, the things that we think about, the things we read, the things we watch, the things we listen to, can, can be suckers in our mind to keep us from thinking the way Jesus wants us to think. Love the Lord your God with all your body, your strength. Take care of your body. Take care of your, the health of your body. Make your body work. Exercise. And be obedient with your body. Yea, you. You've chosen to be obedient to God and you brought your body here today. Pleases the Lord. Love the Lord your God in your relationships. There are things in our relationships that can, can hinder the Spirit of God from bearing the fruit of his presence in our lives. Relationships are hard. Relationships are never perfect. They're hard. And it's hard because they're supposed to be. So as we go to God, we rely on Jesus, we call on the Holy Spirit to help us to bear the fruit of his presence even in our relationships. And love God in your spirit man or spirit woman. Love the Lord your God. He's the spirit, so we love him from our spirit there. Now, speaking of spirit, Jesus said uh, eight times in John 15, verses 1 through 8, uh, he used the word abide, or some translations use the word remain. If you abide in me, and you allow my rhema word, which is the personal word of God, not the graphe, the scripture didn't exist at that point, the living, personal, conversational word of God. If you let that abide in you, then Jesus said, I, the Logos word, will ab- my life will abide in you. And you can ask whatever you want, and then you'll get it. O lady of prayer. <laughs> That's because our spirit becomes into alignment with his spirit, and we won't be asking for stuff that uh, our problem is. We start at the wrong end of that pattern. We start with asking. And then we ask for things that really don't belong to us. And Jesus doesn't intend to give to us, at least in that moment. Abide, remain, is the prerequisite to verse 8. This is to my Father's glory. This. All that I just said in John 15, verses 1, all of that is for my Father's glory. Abiding is the starting place for becoming a man or a woman who radiates the glorious presence of God and carries his reputation so that he comes out in your thoughts, your attitudes, your words, and your behaviors. And so, the single most important thing that we must commit ourselves to is to abiding in the presence of Jesus. Nurturing intimacy with him, nurturing relationship with him in your sacred space, worshiping God, being here, being gathered together in some form of a group of people that might meet during the week, having coffee with one another, or tea, or whatever your favorite beverage is. Abiding, abiding, abiding. Eight times Jesus urged us to do that. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. That's in verse 8. Later in verse 17, Jesus said, fruit that will last. 
And so we get that there's fruit, really good fruit, that's important for this life. But then there's fruit that's really important for the life that is to come. And you know that. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't understand that there's more to your life than this and all of this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, bear much fruit, abundant fruit. John 15, verses 9 through 12. Tyler's going to read that. Not yet, Tyler. (laughs) I mean a bit. (laughs) He spoke of the fruit of love. The fruit of love. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Now that's something for you to think about. How in the world did Jesus exhibit love to us? Well, our minds automatically go to the cross. Yes, that's the ultimate. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was much more than that. Jesus had fun with his disciples. We don't understand Jewish humor here. I'm told he was a humorous guy. I don't see it in the Bible. <laughs> but he enjoyed people. Remember the little children? Oh, thank you for bringing the children up here. This is so This is a visible reminder of how Jesus enjoys kids. So, Jesus enjoyed people. He had three best friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he spent a lot of time in their home. I think Martha or Mary, probably Martha, washed his clothes for him. Made food for him. Uh, They went for walks together. Maybe even walked on the water once or twice. How do we know? (laughs) But Jesus had fun. See what I'm saying? Love one another as Jesus loved. And we need to imagine sometimes a sanctified imagination as to how Jesus actually exhibited love to people prior to the cross, and then, of course, after the cross. Fruit of love. Love one another as I have loved you. So we have to ask the question, what does the fruit of love look like? And Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Love one another in the same way. And so I just say, in order to learn how to love one another, just look at the life of Jesus and do what he did. He even washed people's feet. Crazy, eh? We don't do that so much, but we can wash one another, as I said earlier, with words, cards, emails, texts, phone calls, time spent with one another. And be intentional about that. Jesus did not hesitate to hug people. Jesus didn't hesitate to say, I'm proud of you. I love you. This is what I love about you. Be intentional. Learn to be specific in the way we express love to one another. I tell you all of this, Jesus said, so that my joy might be complete in you. I see some of you are smiling beautifully, but some of you look like you just sucked on a lemon. (laughs) I'm like that too. But why did Jesus use the word joy here? Because there's something about love expressed through joy that says, I love you. Think of the, a favorite person that you have in life. Hopefully it's your wife beside you or your husband. Think of a, a child, a grandchild. Could be a long-lost friend. Barb, Barb, did you see how we greeted one another? <laughs> There's something about the 
visible expression of joy when someone steps in a room that says without words, I love you. I'm glad to see you. we got to be like that. That's the way Jesus was. Love expressed through joy. Love expressed through being a man of peace. Love expressed through being a man who is patient. What am I quoting? Where am I in the Bible? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love made visible through these eight fruits. You want to know how to love people? Jesus helped me to be full of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Thank you, Tyler, and self-control. All right. Joy is not only for our benefit. It matters for the reputation of God. I got to tell you, friends, I grew up in a, my home church. A we, I don't think we ever smiled when we went to church. And we didn't dance like this little girl was over there, maybe with her mom. We didn't clap. We didn't do those things. And I thought, oh my goodness, whoever wants to be part of a church like that? And so Jesus is saying, we don't have to go crazy over this, do we? I mean, red zone charismatic. But maybe we could amp it up a little bit. Yeah, and do that more. <laughs> okay. All right. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm watching the clock, by the way. I think I have till 11.30, right? <laughs> You're okay with that. <laughs> as long as it's joyful. No, we're, we're going to... Tyler, you're getting ready. Not, you're getting ready to come. Okay. This is to my Father's glory that you show yourselves to be my disciples. Have you still got the image in your mind where we're standing and the spotlight of God, God's love and God's favor is on us? no matter your bad habit, <laughs> how many you have or how few, no matter how pure your thought life is, no matter how encouraging your words, you see what I'm saying? Stop, folk, stop wagging your finger at yourself, saying shame on me, like my mother used to do, basuf, basuf, she would say, wait till your dad comes home. I'm not saying, do not tweet anybody and saying, Pastor Curvin said it's okay to have bad attitudes and bad words and bad habits. I'm not. I'm saying the spotlight of God on our lives isn't shining on those. The spotlight of God is look at my son or look at my daughter. Look how amazing they are. Should I have a drink of water? Yeah, thank you, Tyler. Got to keep the fuel in there, don't I? All right. Jesus speaks here to the final practice that leads to showroom living. The word disciple means follower as in learning from and imitating. I think one of the failures of the modern church is that we 
say, come to this seminar, come to this workshop, come to this class. And our focus has been too much on gaining knowledge and not enough on experiencing the Holy Spirit of Jesus, not enough of encountering him. And Jesus is saying here, I want you to not only learn from me, but I want you to imitate me. And when we start putting him to the test, meaning testing what he says, and we start imitating what he actually did and trying it out, it's like test driving a car. Well, we find, oh, this walk with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus is kind of fun. It's full of adventure. It's full of risk. It's full of, for some, danger. But we discover an intimacy, a depth of intimacy with Jesus that we can't know here, sitting here, or even in our sacred places. We have to step out and put it, meaning everything that he's taught and uh, modeled, for, put it to the test. And something starts coming alive in us. It's called spiritual maturity. It's called spiritual authority. It's called spiritual capacity. And our lives begin to have an effect on the people around us, at home, at work, at school, here, wherever. That is not of us. It's supernatural. All right. Tyler, you're going to come now. Uh, oh. You have to get the mic. Tyler is uh, my right-hand man whenever we have opportunity to speak, whenever I have opportunity to speak. And he's my favorite 36-year-old son. I have two, but he's my favorite 36-year-old son. And I want him to know that, see, as his dad. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, you're going to read John. I want you just do what you need to do. Good morning, everyone. How, how is everybody doing? That's good. Um, my, I'm reading from John 15, verse 8 to 17. This is my, this is to my Father, glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Tyler, just stop now. In the remaining verses of, John, of this passage of Scripture, right through to verse 17, Jesus uses the word friend or friends three times. I want you to listen for the word friends. Now, this word in Jesus' language was not best buddies. That's what we would think. That's not the word here. This is our problem with the English Bible. It does mean beloved friend, but it means more than that. There's a difference in the original from philos and phileo. Don't worry about that. I'm just trying to illustrate. It's a different word. Here's what it means. 
loyal ally friend. Just say that out loud. Loyal ally. Every time Jesus uses the word friend here, see it as loyal ally friend. All right, keep reading, Tyler. Uh, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer, I no longer call you servant because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friend for everything that I have learned, that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I told you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit who will that will last, so that whatever you die in my name, the Father will give you this my command, love each other. This is God's word for life today. Amen. Thank you, Tyler. Jesus talked here about Jesus, thank you. <laughs> oh, Tyler. Tyler, you have to stay here. <laughs> You're not finished yet, so you stay. So Jesus talks here about um, what it means to be a loyal ally friend. Now, all of this is connected back to us being showrooms of the glory of God's radiance and reputation. <clears throat> if we're going to exhibit or radiate the presence of God, the power of God, the provision of God through our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. We have to abide. We have to understand that this is the will of God for us. And now, how do we get there? Jesus said, uh, for this principle, that this kind of uh, loyal ally friendship is costly. He said, it cost me. I gave up my life for you as my followers. There's a place in the scriptures where Jesus said, if you're going to be my truest followers, you have to deny, live in a spirit of self-denial. Take up the cross daily and follow me. It's costly to be a true follower of Christ. Those who are the truest, right? they're mature and maturing, have a radiance about them that is not, out of, it's not of themselves. It's from Jesus because they understand that I'm a loyal ally friend of Jesus and it's going to cost me something. Does that make sense? It's costly. Well, what does it cost us today? Well, oh my goodness, I have so many appointments every... I'm retired, sort of, but I have so many appointments every week with people, like your pastor, Trent. <laughs> Not every week, but... People that are so curious and eager for more of the Lord. So that takes me time, doesn't it? That's a cost. And it costs me gas money. That's a cost. And it, I usually buy the coffee. It costs me. That's just a little example. What about I've, I visit a man who has ALS in the hospital every week. Oh, my goodness. He's such a teacher. Too. That costs me. It's costing me emotional and mental and physical energy. But it's worth it. 
Because Jesus said, when you do that, you demonstrate you're a loyal ally friend of mine. And Jesus said here, loyal ally friendship is about doing what I command you. And the image there in the original language is as, as a soldier. What do they say? The boss, the general gives the command. What does the soldier say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Those that choose to say yes to Jesus find that Jesus comes alive in them in a way he brings his radiance alive in his reputation and you mature in him and your spiritual authority grows and your capacity And then he says, I give you a promotion. You think you're servants? Don't use that language anymore. I'm kidding. But he said, I no longer call you servants. What does he call us? Loyal, ally, friends. Why did he say that? He said, because servants don't know the master's business. Think Jesus at age 12 saying to his mom and dad, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? What's the business of the father? Business of the father is love. Don't you know that you and I are to be about the father's business? So he says, I don't call you servants anymore. We're, not, we're yoked together now. You have a promotion, dear friend, from Jesus. Promoted to a higher level of engagement with him, higher level of maturity, authority, and capacity in him. One of my favorite words is the word magnanimous. Magnanimous. It's not a word we use every day, is it? But it's a beautiful word. Let me give you the definition. The word magnanimous means it's from the Latin word magnus, which means great, and animus, which means soul. So a great-souled person, a great-hearted person is what magnanimous means. It's the perfect word to describe Jesus. Do you agree? He was a man of magnanimity. Here's Webster's definition. A generous and forgiving person who overlooks injury and insult, especially toward a rival or a person of lesser power. That is Jesus. And that is you and me. As we're maturing in the Lord, as we're walking with him, as we're counting the price and being willing to sacrifice and as we obey it's us not by our willpower it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord it's by his spirit and it is his dream for your life and his dream for your life and my life is our destiny our destiny is his pathway for working all of this out in our lives guaranteed well i want to close with this Jesus said that this, all of this, all of John 15, 1 through 17, is to my Father's glory. That you show yourselves to be my 
disciples by bearing the fruit of love. Radiance. Radiant love. Having a reputation advancing his reputation for being a God of love. We are God's showroom. Zephaniah 3.17, this is the benediction for today. Zephaniah 3.17 is a word of blessing. Did you know that God is a singing God? And a dancing God. I know, it's crazy. We in the Wesleyan Arminian tradition, we don't do that. Except in our sacred spaces, right? Listen to this. The Lord your God is with you. You must hear this. This is the Father speaking to you. Imagine yourself. You can close your eyes. Imagine yourself standing on a platform like I am in heaven. And it's beautiful, bright light shining all around. But then there's this spotlight shining on you. This is what God says to you. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is the mighty warrior who delivers you. Nothing is bigger than him. He takes great delight in you. In his love, he quiets your spirit. And dances exuberantly around you with singing. The New International Version does not have the word dance in there, but the Hebrew word is dance exuberantly. <laughs> the English Bible gets it wrong sometimes. <laughs> We're grateful for scholars. Well, my man is gone. He was going to pray here. So, If, if there's a coffee machine out there, that's where he's at. All right. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to you for this day. I'm grateful for First Nazarene Church. It's amazing 79 plus years history for its past, its present, and its future. And I thank you for these wonderful people who are here this morning, those that are online. May it be, O oh God, that the seeds that have been planted in our hearts and minds today, in our inner beings, will grow in us, grow up in us, and in this church to bear the fruit of your presence, your power, and your provision. To God be the glory, we say. Amen. Now, I'm told these altar railings are here for to be used if you have a need today. Uh, I'm expecting that you can come and pray by yourself, and that's good, but you may want to have someone pray with you. There's probably people that will be here to pray with you if you, however you let that be known here. So the Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his perfect peace. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.